0: Welcome to For and Against, the show that delves into the big issues in sport off the field of play, from the sublime to the ridiculous. My name is Paul Roach, and as always, I'm joined by, uh, well, it was going to be a couple of very good friends and colleagues, but it's just uh, Simon Johnson. G'day, Jono. G'day, Roachie. Feeling a little lonely in
1: here, but you know you know what they say, the quality rises to the top. It's just you and me tonight. It's a
0: two-hander, exactly. Yeah, uh, our dear friend Stephen Riley uh, pulled the late COVID card. Played the COVID card. The spicy cough. Yeah. yeah. We assume it's genuine. Didn't uh, see any medical certificate. That's true.
1: We might ask for the doctor's certificate. Oh, just Note a copy f- of the rat test. Note from his mum. Yeah. 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 I haven't seen
0: the photo. Anyway. Yeah, it's a bit, good. A bit suspicious, it, do you think? It is a bit, isn't it? It's very, very last minute. So, well, uh, but we'll we'll press on. Unfortunately, um, scheduling conflicts means he won't actually be around for the next show in a couple of weeks either. But um, I, reckon we'll, I reckon we'll manage. Now, Jono, did you know that since we recorded our last show, there's a little a little fawning it's milestone occurred. It was ten years since we recorded our first show. Wow. Then trading as more than just a game on Grandstand Digital. Do you remember that? Uh, I certainly remember the first show, I think, or bits yeah. and pieces of it. There you go. So key discussion points were loose cannon billionaires in Australian sport.
1: Would that have been Nathan
0: Tinkler? Nathan at time? Tinkler. Remember yeah, him? I yeah, remember And Clive Palmer, because they oh, were yeah. both cutting a suede in the A-League. They were. The controversy over Augusta. Allowing female members. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, because I think this IBM had a new CEO it was female, and tradition was that a number of companies their CEOs automatically got membership.
1: Indeed. And look at us getting golf into the show as well. That would Fancy sure was that! Good. From the very a outset. sign of things to come, it was.
0: Did you? Because this is this is May twenty twelve. Did you know at that stage you were going to be in Augusta? Uh, not even twelve months later, and I
1: would have had a. It would have been a twinkle in my eye,
0: right. most definitely. Mm. And saw um, old mate Adam Scott, Adam Scott yeah, yeah. win the big one. April two
1: thousand and
0: thirteen. We also talked about the countdown of London, you know, the costs and ambush marketing and stuff. And for red card, yellow card, I, I don't have any information what the what the rest of you guys did, but my nomination was Mitchell Pierce getting a pedicure. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow. Well, he has been a frequent nominee, so that's cool. <laughs> wow, 10 years ago. So, who knows, Richie, in 10 years' time we oh, might be
0: uh, doing it again. Well, 20-year I anniversary. I trust we will still be going strong.
1: We'll get a little gold watch or anything to mark the uh,
0: occasion. Who I knows? Didn't, I hadn't thought that far ahead. And a big hello to Michael Mason and Rory McDonald for giving us a crack all those years ago. Uh, now, swinging back to the present day in the show ahead, we'll delve into Wimbledon's response to the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the sports administrator's return of serve. In the shootout, we'll look at recent developments in gender pay parity in sport, recap the 151-seat heavyweight clash of Saturday, May the 21st, and get to know the sport of competitive typing. That's right, competitive typing. As always, we'll wrap it up with red card, yellow card, where we delight in bringing back into the spotlight the errant ways of our sporting friends who'd prefer we'd quietly forget these little indiscretions. However, or before we get into it, we must remember the socials. got to plug the socials on Twitter, at four and against underscore, on Insta, four, dot, and dot, against. And that'll do us for now. We've abandoned Facebook, haven't we, because they abandoned us. Indeed. Don't like podcasts. And the emails are sort of no point anymore. doesn't seem to no. sort of be used. hotmail.com if anyone out there has uh, suddenly changed their mind. Love See, to hear from you. Still waiting. Exactly. However, for now, let's get into it. As the Russian invasion of Ukraine grinds on, so does the response from the rest of the world. The uh, All England Club decided to take matters into their own hands, banning players from Russia and also Belarus from this year's Wimbledon Championship. Well, the ATP and the WTA had their own response to that, didn't they, Jono?
1: Yeah, they really did. Fascinating story, this one. So the ATP, the WTA and the ITF have removed ranking points from this year's Wimbledon tournament, mm. which basically means it becomes an exhibition. And it's had, or continuing to have, I guess, knock-on effects. There are threats at the moment for pretty major players to drop out. You know, some players are saying, if there are no ranking points, why should I go and play there? Really interesting story here for on a number of levels. I mean, I think Wimbledon is in an exceptionally difficult situation. I mean, they've chosen, I guess, to back the position that their country has taken when it comes to the sporting sanctions. Mm. Obviously, the UK government has been very strong on this. And Wimbledon seems to have taken the higher ground to date. But looking at the Grand Slams, they're the only ones who have done it. If you look at what's happened for some of the other Grand Slams or what the tennis federations have insisted happen... They're allowing these players, so Danny Medvedev, Andrei Rublev, Karolina Pliskova, to continue to play, but they mm. have to play under a, a neutral banner, so they can't have their flags up, similar to, I guess, how the Russian athletes were allowed to compete mm. in the Olympic Games there, the, the sanction that wasn't really a sanction. Which is
0: a bit papering over the cracks, isn't it? The sort of look at, you know, you're Russian, we know you're Russian or Belarusian, and we you know, we all know who you are, where you're from, so here's a little blank flag and we won't play a national anthem, not that they do in tennis anyway.
1: Yeah, and I mean, they're... They're playing hardball, Wimbledon. Like to do something like that, I'm sure they they would have thought it very carefully through. I mean, I'm surprised there hasn't been some kind of threat of legal action. Mm-hmm. I, I saw the statement. Did you see what Wimbledon had to say about it? Oh, look, it was I was actually going
0: to read a chunk because I mean, you know, to your point, it's it's a it's a well put you know position. Given the position taken by the UK government to limit Russia's global influence, which removed automatic entry by ranking. And the widespread response of government, industry, sport and creative institutions, we remain of the view that we've made the only viable decision. And sorry, this is after the, uh, obviously, the ITP and Mm. WTA have done their thing. Uh, Only viable decision for Wimbledon as a globally renowned sporting event and British institution. We stand by the decision we've made.
1: Yeah, interesting, isn't it? I mean, you would think there must be some kind of participation agreement or, I guess, hosting agreement between the parties. Like, to take it back to base principles Mm. as to, you know, on what basis does Wimbledon host a Grand Slam? And you would think that, you know, as part of that, potentially the Tennis Federation controls, you know, various aspects. But there's no doubt that Wimbledon's going to suffer massive loss as a result of this decision because players aren't going to play. I would imagine sponsors are going to say, well, we're not getting the same advertising dollar Um, as we would if all of these players who have now dropped out aren't (laughs) playing anymore.
0: Do you reckon, I mean, who are the players have dropped off? And f- forgive me, I'm not sort of maybe full bottle on this, but it's one thing to ban a group of players from certain countries, but but no one else has gone out in protest, have they? Yeah,
1: you look, at the time of going to digits, Naomi Osaka is saying that she's uh, tossing up whether or not she will play or not. So up in the air as to whether she ends up playing at Wimbledon.
0: And more because, not as a protest kind of thing, but more just because the ranking points aren't there?
1: Yeah, I mean, she. I saw the press conference she did. I mean, she basically was pretty abrupt about it and said, look, I play for points if there are no points, Points on offer, then I'm not sure that I'm going to go. Mm. And you know, on to that point, you know, if someone's lifting the trophy, if they win Wimbledon, is there always going to be an asterisk against their name that year? Because you know, Medvedev, as one of the world's top players, wasn't playing, uh, and if other people drop out, likewise.
0: Well, the people have said there's asterisks against all sorts of sporting achievements over so the last two or two and a half, three years what with COVID. So what's another little, um, another little uh, tennis tournament? I, I think the. The interesting thing here, too, is that the, the Grand Slams are different. As I think we discovered when we were exploring the Aussie Open and its tricky position with respect to COVID over the last couple of years, the Grand Slams are each are sort of entities unto themselves, whereas the other tournaments tend to fall more under the WTA banner, etc., the the administration of the sport. So the Grand Slams have a little bit more leeway. or and I'm not sure. I forget what the legal arrangements are, but they've, they've just got more of an opportunity to do their own thing. And probably Wimbledon. Has the most opportunity to do its own thing because it's probably seen more as this pinnacle kind of thing. So it's it's got a little leverage it can it can throw around.
1: Hundred percent. I mean, there's so much cachet, isn't there? The history, the prestige of that tournament. Um, so you can imagine there are those bargaining chips that no doubt uh, are being played. Um, by both parties as they're going through those negotiations. But, you know, we're still, what, a month or so away from the tournament. it be really interesting to see how it plays out over the next little while. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's, you know, a bunch of legal letters going going across the bowers in the background. And, you know, we'll wait and see as to whether or not there might be some proceedings or litigation kicked off.
0: Mm. I mean, I think we've got to, just to, to continue reading from their statement, it, it's, you know, there's, there's some important um, principles at play here. So, we remain unwilling to accept success or participation at Wimbledon being used to benefit the propaganda machine of the Russian regime, which, through its closely controlled state media, has an acknowledged history of using sporting success to support a triumphant narrative to the Russian people. So, I mean, there's, there, there is no holding back in that statement. I mean, it's a, very, it's a very polite and professional and, you know, very well polished kind of statement, but it's... It does render its position quite clear.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I first heard about the decision, I I was all for it, I must say. I thought, you know, that's fantastic that a sporting event like that is standing up and standing behind a whole bunch of the other sporting sanctions that we've talked about previously on the show, obviously, and and they can be powerful. We've talked about what happened with South Africa and apartheid and how effective and important the the sporting sanctions were in bringing about change there. But when you think about it a little bit more here, I mean, it really is the individuals, isn't it, that are being punished? Mm,
0: True. But I think that that's where that last state, that last paragraph, last little excerpt from the, the Wimbledon statement, comes into play because they do see any success by a Russian individual as feeding into the propaganda machine. Now, look, you could argue, well, you know, what right does a, a tennis tournament have to make a decision around that? I mean, I suppose ultimately it's, it's their tournament, so they, they do have that right. But equally, people, therefore, have the right to say, well, I'm not going to be part of that. And, and crucial to that is obviously this, well, well, we'll withdraw points.
1: Yeah. Well, the points thing is interesting as well. I'm not sure if you saw, but, I mean, the... Unwitting and no doubt extremely happy in some ways, beneficiary of all of this might be Danny Medvedev. So the irony, How so? Of, so the irony of all of this, as I read it, is that so Medvedev is currently world number two. World number one is Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Novak Djokovic has two thousand points because he won Wimbledon last year. If he, right. assuming he can't defend those points because the points are on, aren't on offer. He loses those 2,000 points, <laughs> and Medvedev, even though he's banned, goes up to number one. So you have the, uh, the Russian athlete heading back up to number one, which is just...
0: Ridiculous. Careful what you wish for there, Wimbledon. And look, obviously the French went ahead without any uh, suggestion of people not being allowed to join.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, as I understand it, I think that's on the basis that the Russian and Belarusian players are playing under neutral banners. Okay. Uh, and I think that's how it will play out at the US Open. it be interesting to see what the Aussie Open does, again, I mean, given how politicised... Our tournament was in January with Djokovic and the vaccine. Be hilarious if it if it happened again.
0: Easy to stop them at the border at our place, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's
1: it true. Well, different immigration minister this time, Richie. That's true. Well, well
0: say. yeah, well, perhaps we can talk about that great sporting event, the election, a little later on. Well, it'll be very interesting to see how that pans out. And I think, Jonah, to your point as well, it'll be interesting to see how the other Grand Slams respond because, I mean, the US comes up in September, obviously, and you would have thought that um, they're in a position to throw their weight around as well.
1: Yeah, and to be clear, my understanding is they're not going to. Mm. So I think Wimbledon is on its own so far. I haven't heard whether the Australian Open is going to follow suit with Wimbledon, but I think the French and the US are allowing them to play under a neutral banner at Mm. this
0: stage. I'm not a fan of this neutral banner thing. If you're going to allow them... There's, I mean I know it's I mean one of the interesting things about tennis is is you're not playing for your country, obviously. You are playing for y- yourself as an individual, which point we kind of made. It's not like it's Davis Cup or anything.
1: And that's yeah, I mean that's where I mean, are those individual rights being trampled all over here? That's why I think it's there is a little bit of grey in it. I mean, as I said, I was very much in favour when I first heard about it, but when you, you think a little bit more about it, it's it is an individual sport. It's not mm. like Davis Cup. It's not like the South African rugby team in the 70s. So
0: So speculating a bit, if one or other party, and there's a few parties who could potentially explore their legal rights, there's Wimbledon themselves, there's the ATP, WTA, there's the individual players. I mean, question without notice here. If, if someone was to pick up a cudgel, yeah. what would it focus on or centre on, do you yeah, think?
1: A bunch of different options. So, I mean, I think the players could have some kind of claim to an international court of human rights, for example, um, saying that their rights have been uh, infringed and, and they should be allowed to play. There were a couple of headlines suggesting that maybe Medvedev was looking into that. Mm. Um, and so potentially he would have taken some action. Um, apparently he's not going to go ahead with that. So that would be one. You you would have potentially the sponsors or the advertising partners or the TV people saying that they're not going to get the same value out of their deal with Wimbledon, so they might bring a claim against Wimbledon as the Mm. event organiser. And if that happened, Wimbledon would no doubt Cross-claim or bring a counter suit against um, the ATP, being the the federation that organised it. But Mm. yeah, not having any insight, I had a a little poke around to see if we could find out a little bit more detail around what the exact arrangements are between the Grand Slam tournaments and the ATP or, Mm. or the International Tennis Federation. And there's nothing online. So it'd be interesting to see... You know what's really going
0: on here. Got to get yourself into international sports law, John. It sounds like you're halfway, mate, eh, with some of those. Uh, that's that output. Well, it'll be uh, very interesting to see whether some of those other Grand Slams do indeed follow suit. On to the shootout now where we cover a couple of topics in shorter fashion. I want to talk about pay equality in sport. So after a fairly public campaign over the last few years, the US women's football team, that being soccer, their players will now be paid the same as the men. So an interesting development. Not the first country in the world for this to happen. Indeed, Australia is in that situation, as is uh, a couple of others. I think Britain, uh, the, the Kiwis, I think I saw Norway maybe.
1: Yeah, I think Netherlands as well, New Zealand. Yep.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the, the interesting thing with the, the Yanks is that the women's team have done so spectacularly well, as opposed to the men who've sort of made up the numbers at the World Cup. So, And I, I gather too at the final of the last Women's World Cup, they were actually chanting in the stands equal pay, equal pay, equal yeah, pay. Interesting. So I understand.
1: And they probably have as big a profile in the US, don't they? As the as the men. I guess so. I mean not that, that should of course be in any way determinative of how this plays out. But yeah, look it's um you know it shouldn't be controversial, but it obviously is. The interesting part about it that I I didn't realise, but there's an equal split of tournament prize money Mm. as well, which um, is apparently quite revolutionary. So, you know, World Cup prize money has traditionally been one of the big sticking points for achieving genuine equal pay. So there's you know massive disparities between the bonuses offer, offered by FIFA and the Confederations to the men's and women's teams who participate in the tournaments. I saw that at the 2018 Men's World Cup, FIFA allocated a total prize pot of 400 million <laughs> to be distributed amongst all competing teams. Um, and the winning team, France was awarded 40 million for taking wow. out the title. But at the 2019 Women's World Cup the total pot allocated by FIFA was only 30 million and the winners of the US got 4 million so mm, mm. you know this new deal could have a huge impact on the pay packets of um, of the US female soccer players. Yeah I
0: mean there's sort of there's a couple of economic concepts at work it is equal equal pay for equal work. And I kind of like the idea of that, you know, pulling those payments. So, you know, each player will also will get matching game appearance fees in what the United States Federation said makes it the first federation to pull that prize money, as you say, Jono. Then there's, there's the bonus component. So the, the little economic dry in me still can't help... Going back to the fact that the reason sports people generally get paid a stupid amount of money, immorally large amount of money, how many eyeballs watch it? Totally, the eyeballs and that yep. generates advertising, that generates the revenue. Yep. So I totally agree with the equal pay for equal work. But yeah, there's still a little bit, and this is—I know it's a controversial comment. You can't really say this, this sort of thing out loud, but um, you're about to. Though, I Richie. am about to. Just there's, there's—I think there's a bonus component, and it's there'll be some hardcore economic drives out there who will go look. There's billions of people watch the men's tournament. And a few hundred million. I'm plucking a number there. And to be watch the women's. Tournament. To be
1: clear about this, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, we're only really talking about you know national teams here. It's not the individuals because that's dealt with separately. Obviously, in tennis, there's mm. a, a real push for equal pay between mm. the men's and the women's, mm. particularly at grand slams. Mm-hmm. But yeah, as I understand it, this is really just the national teams, isn't it? Yeah, true,
0: true, true. Yeah, that's that's also my understanding. I mean, even things like the disparity in the bonuses. Um, and Johnny, you gave some headline numbers, but uh, American women received 110 hundred 10,000 US bonus for winning the 2019 World Cup. Geez, I'm looking forward to the 2023 here in Australia. Mm. That's going to be fantastic. And New Zealand. Sorry, New Zealand. Whereas the US men would have received 400,000 US yeah. had, they had they won. Had they won. Had they won. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so, you know, four, near enough to four times. Anyway, so interesting to see that happening and that push to gender pay parity happening around the world. Yes, John, I alluded to it a little earlier on. I I can't help but ask you whether you sat in front of the telly for six hours like I did as the results of the federal election unfolded. It it felt like watching a sporting event. The, the drama, the intrigue, you know, the heavyweights, it was David and Goliath battles, the upsets, there was a few upsets, and, and in the end the betting market got it right like it usually does. Was there an election, was it? <laughs> <laughs> I've just been pretending it didn't happen. Trying not to drag individual political uh, inclinations no, course, into this conversation. I'm w- you're welcome to if you want to. No,
1: no, no. So, um, no, I didn't uh, watch the coverage live, we're out to dinner, but um, oh. we're keeping a very, very close eye on things, um, in fact the conversation went dry a number of times, as I looked around we're all on our phones reading oh, yeah. ABC News and keeping up to date, yeah. but yeah look it was like a sporting event wasn't yeah. it, I mean some other examples, poor captaincy I thought during oh. the campaign, so I okay. thought ScoMo didn't really lead the team that mm-hmm, well, mm-hmm. Um, some blinded loyalty by his vice captain <laughs> to the captain from, um, from Josh, perhaps should have taken a different approach. But, yeah, and also the commentators as well.
0: I mean, you alluded, alluded
1: to it as well. I mean, the commentators were probably as interesting, if not more interesting, than mm-hmm. what was happening on the field of play. Mm-hmm. Right? That mm-hmm. ABC panel is, was brilliant. I, I,
0: I, I took the ABC route, as I generally do. And, uh, look, I think Anthony Green, the fame's going to his head a bit. He was a bit loose that on, so, on that night. Oh,
1: I didn't see it, but I did read a couple of reports. Did he did he
0: lose it a little bit? A little in, bit. Yeah, okay. yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you know, the star of the show, the one of the main players, the mm. go-to, the you know, this is the, the centre-half of the coverage, he was a little bit little bit shaky. The, the wily old player, I suppose, yeah, with all the experience. Maybe he's getting a little bit old. Maybe he needs it's time to put out to he, pasture. Just, or just, you know, at late substitution to, at the crucial moments at the end of the game, end of the night maybe, I don't mm. know. But, uh, look, lots of parallels. I, I was drained by the end of the night, as yeah. I am after a good test was, match. It was politics the winner at the end of the night? I'm sure it was, John, I'm sure it was. And, look, folks, if we find out that the change of government is going to change anything in the sporting landscape in Australia, we'll report back to you. From the it's not sport but we like it file, the world of competitive typing. Now, no doubt you might consider yourself something of a speedster when it comes to typing. But did you know there is a competitive outlet for you to test whether you are indeed a gun? Yes, welcome to the world of competitive typing. Now, this is enjoying a resurgence after being quite the thing in the late 1800s and the early 1900s. The modern incarnation is, as you'd imagine, uh, reflective of the change of the times with rooms full of mechanical typewriters giving way to virtual rooms of touchpads and culminating in the Ultimate Typing Championship. Uh, John, do you see yourself getting involved in the Ultimate Typing Championship?
1: I don't know. I reckon I could end up with RSI of the wrist or something. I mean, it'd that be is quite intense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But
0: what, what are we talking here? Like sixty
1: words a minute, seventy words a minute? I mean, a good speed is at, what about thirty or forty
0: oh, words look, a minute? 50? I'm glad you asked. It's it's almost like we planned that. Natural talent is but a really hotly debated topic. Apparently, in this field, as to whether you can train and be really good mm. or if it's just natural. So, uh, there's a 19-year-old chappie from the states who believes anyone can become fast with enough practice. So this person, Mr. Peach, uh, he hadn't learned to type properly. He was in middle school computer science class when he took a typing test and ended up at 100 words a minute. Wow. And that's really good because 40 words a minute is the average for the non-competitive typist. I see. So when he was 15, he found some program, taught himself to type, and he got up to 150 words a minute. That's outrageous. But then he eventually plateaued, you see, and he sort of assumed he'd reach his natural peak. But then a few years later, he read a book about methods of practice.
1: It's all about the mental approach and to he, the typing game?
0: Uh, well, I'm, I'm not sure of the detail of that, but he read something that sort of got him back in love he with competitive typing. He focused, yeah. 200 words a minute. Whoa, that's 200 impressive. words a minute. I
1: wonder where, I mean, why would uh, a 19-year-old in this day and age be into competitive typing? I mean, it's not like you're going to make a career so much these days. I mean, back in the day. I don't know. You said it was big in the 1880s, 1890s. Into the 1920s kind of thing. Oh, that's yeah. a big career, being a, a typist. Well, I mean,
0: that's assuming they're doing it professionally. I don't know. Maybe it's just a hobby and, mm. and they've just got a bit of a profile. But the the ultimate typing championships, I mean, that, that sounds serious. Yeah,
1: yeah. Oh, well, there's hope for us all to represent our country <laughs> one day.
0: Good luck with that, folks. <laughs> Yes, red card, yellow card, where we enjoy poking fun at sporting types who have uh, have mucked up off the field of play, who've done something they would rather we'd have forgotten about. And we take great joy in bringing it back into the spotlight, don't we, Jono?
1: We do, Rochie. I mean, you brought a little tear to my eye at the start of the show when really? you mentioned Mitchell Pearce oh, as yes. the early nomination for red card, yellow card. I mean, he's had a couple of nominations over the years, as we know. Mm. I've got another frequent flyer for you tonight. Awesome. He's actually probably one of your favourite athletes of all time, the great white shark. Oh. Greg Oh, of
0: course. What's he? Oh, I know what he's <laughs> Of course, everyone. Yeah, go on, go on. But as a side
1: note, you really do need to do yourself a favour and watch that 30 for 30 ESPN documentary. It <laughs> might give you a slightly different take on the shark. I know you've got a Pavlov's dog, Pavlovian reaction whenever his name gets <laughs> mentioned, but give him a chance. But anyway, he's, he's back to his usual form, unfortunately, this show. Uh, he's managed to put his foot in his mouth once again when doing a press conference to promote the new Saudi-backed to. Ah, yes, which we've covered a couple of times on this show. We have. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, answering a few questions about it, you would expect that he would realise there might be a few questions asked about the Saudi human rights issues, and a specific question was asked about the murder of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. It came up, to which Norman said, and I quote quite directly, Mm -hmm. look, we've all made mistakes, and you just want to learn by those mistakes, and they want to move forward, Mm. according to the shark. Now, you know, he's never been accused of being the most empathetic of personalities, but the degree of tone deafness, if I'm not sure if that's a word, is if you now. get my drift, mm. of those remarks was quite extraordinary, especially given that Phil Mickelson was effectively cancelled for mm. saying almost exactly the same thing a couple of months before.
0: Mm. So we all make mistakes. I,
1: I think it's a red for, we, for Sharky.
0: We've response. all dragged a journalist we don't like anyone at an embassy <laughs> and ripped them part and disposed of the body without any trace. <laughs> You've got to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. And you know, they just want to move forward. Yeah. Don't we all, Sharky? Uh, that's There's nothing but red there, obviously, John, I agree with you entirely. Actually, look, I've got my nomination coming up, but you mentioned Saudi, Saudi Arabia. It does remind me of a nomination that did occur to me to throw in and... I'll mention here is uh, Lionel Messi, uh, mm. Lionel Messi. He's re- recently signed up to be a tourism ambassador for Saudi Arabia. Right, taking the cold hard huh? cash. Absolutely, because he doesn't have enough of it, right? Mm. And was seen you know, parading around Jeddah or some such with the royalty or whoever, whoever right. they are. And um, Yes, his image being used to promote that country, which the you old, imagine a number of human rights organisations had a bit of a problem with. Sports washing Indeed. once again. However, I'm uh, lightening things up a little bit and I'm nominating the BBC. Oh,
1: yeah. What have they done?
0: Well, you know, see, so, you know how if you're watching sports news on the TV, often you'll have a, sort of a news ticker running along the bottom. Uh, so during the early stages of the French Open on the BBC, so the early stages of the French Open, the, lots of soccer stuff had just you know come to fruition, the end of the Premier League and, and so on and so forth. Now, apparently for about an hour, the BBC sports news ticker had this running as one of their news items, right? You ready? Manchester United are rubbish. <laughs> And what, it was just it ran for about tro- trolling through <laughs> the bottom of the screen. Manchester United are rubbish. Now, I mean, in it, fairness, they it's kind of true. Yeah, they <laughs> came sixth, I think. They lost their last one at yeah. Crystal Palace, I think, one one zip. How did this happen? Well, needless to say, this gave rise to an on-air Mayor culpa from whoever was hosting the program. Uh, a little earlier, some of you might have noticed something pretty unusual in the ticker, making a comment about Manchester United. I hope you weren't offended. Behind the scenes, someone was training to learn how to use the ticker and to put text on the ticker. So they were just writing random things, not in earnest. That comment appeared, so apologies if you saw that, and, and you're offended if you're a fan of Man U, but certainly that was a mistake. It wasn't meant to appear on the screen. We just thought we'd better explain that to you. <laughs> No mention of the use of the word are instead of is, by the way, in Manchester United are rubbish. Should be Manchester United is yeah, rubbish. Yeah, yeah,
1: get the grammar uh, police
0: out. But um, anyway, but yeah, it's a it's a clearly a yellow car there to the Beeb for uh, letting that slip through.
1: Yeah, yeah. Fair play, though, to the trainee for...
0: Oh, yeah. Manchester United are rubbish. He did it for a bet. 90% of the country would have been nodding along with him or her. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we decided on a yellow for the B. Yellow card, we did. I think. yes, yeah. yes, yes. So with the conclusion of red card, yellow card, that brings a conclusion to this episode of For and Against, where we've managed to get through, John, I think quite successfully, in my humble opinion, with just the two of us. Couldn't agree more. I mean, Stephen, who <laughs> you're right about the quality rising to the top. Don't forget, you can catch us on the social media as Twitter at foreign and Against underscore, and on Insta four dot and dot against. So it's goodbye to you, Simon Johnson. See you, Richie. It's goodbye from me. Paul Roach and until next time it's bye for now.